0: Life's Everyday Mystery Solved, The Dr. Joe Show, on
1: CJAD 800. Welcome aboard. Today I have my colleagues, Jonathan Jerry, Ada McLean, and uh, Emily Shore uh, in studio. We're going to discuss some of the interesting happenings in the world of science. But first, a bit about Brexit. And the Brits are going to leave the European Union, and they are worried And one of the things they are worried about are chlorinated chickens. Why? Because the Brits believe that they will be eating these after the UK exits the European Union. And, uh, of course, Britain will have to look for trade with countries outside the Union, and the US is the prime candidate. All right, now down to poultry. In the U.S., when chickens are processed, they are subjected to a wash with a chlorine solution, and that, of course, is to reduce the risk of bacterial contamination, mostly salmonella and campylobacter. This is not allowed in the European Union. and U.S. chicken has been banned in the European Union since 1997 because of the chlorine wash. This is not because there is concern about the safety of the chlorination procedure. I mean, chlorination, of course, is uh, used around the world to disinfect water. But because it leads to less care about hygiene when the chickens are raised, since producers believe that the chlorine will take care of bacteria that may be present. The real fear is that heavily soiled birds may not be sufficiently disinfected and that relying on chlorine washing could lead to poor hygiene standards overall. Chlorination also eliminates odors and surface slime, meaning the meat can be passed off as fresh for much longer than it should be. There's also some concern that chlorination can lead to the formation of carcinogenic trihalomethanes, like chloroform, which is an issue in municipal water treatment systems, but chickens are tested for these compounds, and of course so is municipal water, and uh, they are not detected. Another issue is that some research has shown that chlorination interferes with the culturing of the bacteria, like listeria and salmonella in the lab. But nevertheless, the bacteria remain active, giving the false impression that contamination has been reduced. So basically, Brits do not want to have to accept U.S. food standards that they see as less stringent than those in the EU. In the U.S., it's all about profits. Surprise, surprise. The more birds that can be crammed into a poultry-raising facility, the greater the profits. In the European Union, there's a legal minimum for space and for lighting and for ventilation uh, in these poultry-raising facilities. But in the U.S., there are no poultry welfare standards. The birds can be crammed in so tightly they have limited movement, they have very little light and very little ventilation. This, of course, reduces production costs, but increases the risk of disease and contamination in a flock. There have also been reports, including undercover video evidence by the Humane Society of the United States, of both inhumane and unsanitary practices being carried out within poultry houses due to the lack of animal welfare regulation. Undercover videos taken in these houses have revealed, you know, some some pretty nasty things that one doesn't want to see. Uh, people handling the meat with their bare hands, picking up meat from, from the floor, uh, picking up dead chickens all over the place. It's not very inviting. But of course, those videos are, are usually selected uh, by the animal rights activists to, to uh, depict the worst possible scenario. But the fact is that there shouldn't even be one poultry house where such a scenario exists. So Brits are worried that they will have to buy American chickens that are raised in less hygienic conditions than in the EU, and they point out that the incidence of food poisoning in the U.S. appears to be as much as 10 times higher than in the U.K. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports that about 380 people die each year in America from foodborne salmonella poisoning. Public Health England reports that between 2005 and 2015, there was not a single death from salmonella poisoning in England and Wales. So there is a Brexit story and the connection between chlorine and the reason that some Brits are worried about their exit from the European Union. All right, we have two ladies here who are both uh, in the vegetarian orientation. What do you say about that? Would you worry about uh, uh, chickens because they are washed in chlorinated water?
0: I mean, from a health perspective, no. From the chickens... uh, From
1: chickens' perspective?
0: (laughs) (laughs) From the welfare perspective, it is a legitimate concern. I mean, we should be putting up regulations that mean producers have to treat their birds more humanely.
1: Absolutely. Emily, you eat chicken.
2: I do eat chicken. Um, I probably, upon first hearing that news would be somewhat alarmed i guess but then i also then think about who i work for and who i listen to <laughs> and i would go to the source and see if that really makes any difference but ada does bring up a good point from the chickens perspective i guess
1: no it's uh, for sure i mean we've all seen these videos uh, you know where chickens are are treated in a terrible way i mean they're squashed in oh. in, in there but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the the uh, you know the usual practice in in North America because I've also seen some chicken houses where the the birds are treated well and uh i i don't know uh, you know uh there's of course the ethical issue of uh eating animals altogether right uh, altogether okay. right yeah. and uh one you know those are very legitimate concerns uh, i mean i must say that i don't much like the idea of of raising animals just so that we can eat them because the only thing going for that is that they taste good yeah. uh but you know environmentally it is not a sound practice All right, we're uh, going to take a break, and after that, we'll be back, and we're going to have a very interesting discussion about vaccination and about Montreal Healthy Girl. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Science, you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Vaccination, of course, has been in the news in recent times because of the measles epidemics, which we haven't seen for decades and now are are, uh, all over the place. And uh, sometimes there are little successes. You know, we've often said that in this business of uh, trying to separate sense from nonsense, as we do through our office, uh, I don't think we can win the war, but we can win the odd battle. And uh, maybe there was a little victory the other night in New York. And uh, Jonathan, uh, Jerry, my colleague, follows the vaccination story uh, immaculately. So he's going to tell us a little bit about just uh, what happened the other night in New York.
3: Immaculately. Wow. Um, It's still mind-blowing to me that in 2019, I'm spending my time talking about the importance of vaccinating your children uh but but here we are and and part of the reason is because you know we've had uh, vaccines have been victims of their own success you know rates of diseases have gone down so people don't really see the diseases that these that these vaccines are meant to prevent trust in medical doctors and pharmaceutical companies have been going down there are people who are part of the health freedom movement there are people who are chemophobic and then there's a lot of misinformation and that's what we're talking about here because uh, of course um the state of New York is in the the, the midst of an outbreak of measles which is a vaccine preventable disease And there are anti-vaxxers, very clear anti-vaxxers, who are holding events in that state uh, specifically targeting the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community to to get them to not vaccinate their children, to spread misinformation about the supposed harms of these vaccines. And there was an event uh, on June 3rd uh, in Brooklyn, which is really the epicenter of this particular outbreak. And, uh. The
2: second event, technically. Yes. In New York.
3: Yeah, that, that was, yeah, there was another one before that in mm-hmm. Muncie, uh, New York, in upstate New York. But this one was in Brooklyn, and it had, uh, there's a particular rabbi who's very, um, uh, vehemently anti-vaccination. There's Del Bigtree, uh, who's fairly well known in our circles. There's Daniel Nidis also, who, uh, very funnily enough, He used to work for the Cleveland Clinic. He wrote an anti-vaccination screed on cleveland.com, and he uh, basically lost his job. He apologized for what he wrote, but clearly he did not meant uh, his apology. And so uh, when I learned about this uh, from somebody who is Jewish, who is in New York, uh, who who sent me the the link to the poster that was circulating internally, um, I'm very happy to see there was a lot of media coverage of this particular event. Uh, And they were expecting something like 1,300 or 1,350 people there. And between 50 and 100 people actually showed up. Uh, So compared to the Muncie, New York Mm -hmm. uh, thing, which was, it looked like it was sold out. It was, it was a full house. Uh, In this particular case, uh, very few people actually showed up. And it got a lot of denunciation in the media. The Washington Post wrote about it.
2: Even from other Orthodox Jews as well. Yes, the Flatbush
3: Jewish Community Coalition came out saying the Flatbush community does vaccinate. Uh, The public uh, health commissioner in New York also uh, made a statement uh because right now uh in New York the number of measles cases has jumped to 566 uh and i think in the US it's gone over a 1000 in total so that's what we're in the midst of um so small victory in the sense that the fewer people were reached uh than were were being expected by this this blatant misinformation uh but here we are
2: or they were reached and didn't show because they yeah. just you know yeah. I, I i imagine that with the loudspeakers um, you know, this event was promoted by, a, you know, cars going around the, the Borough Park, Brooklyn neighborhood right. yelling that it was happening, which some people, you know, in some communities that happens around Jewish holidays or whatever. So I could imagine what was going on that they heard and I hope just didn't show and instead maybe, you know, uh, started um, going for the other side, basically, or sending proper messages out there.
1: As you mentioned, Del Bigtree was one of the people involved in this and uh he is a uh producer tvm movie producer he, he was yeah he was called a medical journalist on the poster <laughs> right uh he's a scientific nobody right and uh, that becomes very easily uh, very quickly evident when you take a look at a letter that he sent to uh, uh, to U.S. government, basically that they need to look further into the vaccination business, and uh, the letter was answered in great, great detail, and I actually do have that on my uh, Facebook page. I, I think maybe we'll we'll put that up on our our website and our the office Facebook page as well, because uh, the answer to that so clearly shows that this guy knows nothing about vaccination. He has he has no knowledge at all, and yet he has amassed this uh,
3: this following. Yeah, he was telling the media that night, uh, this is not misinformation, it's missed information. This is the information the medical establishment doesn't really want to talk about. Sort of the dark side of vaccines, it's always been there since the beginning of time. So again, Honest- it's this, this conspirational... Uh, yeah.
2: I find it, you know. honestly, one word for that, it's so chutzpah <laughs> That is, I trust uh, that your
3: Yiddish <laughs> is meaningful in this case. I don't know, yeah. but there you go. I just
2: listened to that, and it's, un- it's unbelievable.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, well, talking about uh, little victories. Montreal Healthy Girl is a lady in Montreal who uh, calls herself a naturopath, uh, although her background is somewhat spotty. Uh, It seems to us, after some investigation, that uh, the only degree that she has is essentially from a a mail-order diploma kind of thing, a diploma mill. But she puts out these videos, which uh, are, you know, half an hour long or or so, and some of them have huge following. Half a million, million people have watched this, and she has... Zero scientific background. as is obviously evident who does have scientific background just by viewing a few minutes of, of video. And we've uh, talked about this in the in the past because she had this uh, really disturbing video about cancer, about how cancer actually is a good thing because it's a the, the way of the body telling itself that, that you have to change your, your life. This was so absurd, you know, it's beyond words. And she eventually took that down after criticism. But uh, when was it, Jonathan? Two weeks ago when she came up with this uh, measles Fairly fairly uh, recently.
3: Yeah, about two weeks ago where she basically made a video about autism. Uh, And it was a video uh, claiming that she knew what the causes of autism were. And she was going to explain them to us via the Airbnb where she's staying. And uh, the, I mean, some of the stuff that she was saying was was completely ludicrous. For example, air fresheners in the home cause autism. Spending too much time in the car because air doesn't circulate as well causes autism. But the number one cause that she identified in her video was vaccination. And she went on to say that she was quote pretty anti-vax. She's not hiding it. Uh, I mean, we kind of knew this from previous videos that she's made, but this one was, was quite explicit. And this was 20 minutes of a complete garbage misinformation on, on autism.
2: And she, quite explicit, but also in her delivery, super chill. I mean, you can't watch it now because um, it was taken down, um, although some people... W- have it. Um, But when you watch her delivery, I mean, that's what the part that's so compelling is that she's just easily talking about it as if it's, you know, everyone should know this and every people should be warned. And I don't believe in this because, and you know, she doesn't sound like a journalist. She doesn't sound like a... No, she sounds like the girl next door who should be
1: trusted. But anyway, the reason I say that we had a little victory is because she did take down that that video. And uh, this was subsequent to an article that was uh, written in the National Post, uh, basically upon our urging, and uh, we were referred to in in that uh, article. And
3: her Instagram account is down as well. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: So um, she has less of a voice now, but undoubtedly she will come back with another one of her gems, and uh, we will have to go on the attack again. Anyway, it's time for a little bit of break. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show.
3: Your source when you need answers, The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800.
1: People like uh, Big Tree and Montreal Healthy Girl are kind of a wart on the face of science. Well, talking about warts, uh, there are all kinds of ways to try to solve this problem of uh, a virus because that's what uh, a wart is. And there is one interesting story about getting rid of warts with duct tape. and it is duct tape, DUCTK. Not, not duct tape. Although given focuses. that you're involved in the story, we might, yeah, so we we might call think that's it duct tape. tape. <laughs> yes. Ada, bring us up to date.
0: Well, I've never had a wart, but I may one day. And even if I don't, it's it's. I want to share the good news that according to at least one study, we can treat duck, uh, warts with duct tapes. All you have to do is wrap your finger up or your toe up or wherever the wart is and leave it for about a week and... Then you take it off, change the tape. If it's still there, you put some more on, and this works, and we don't really know why.
3: Was the lead author on this study a uh, MacGyver?
0: It wasn't, <laughs> thankfully. I don't think he's much of a scientist.
3: No, well, he's a, he's a man, he's a jack-of-all-trades.
0: <laughs> so we don't, scientists aren't really sure what the mechanism for this is, but it's thought that it might, the duct tape just stimulates an immune response, which causes the virus to be attacked by your own immune system. Um So naturally, people tried to replicate these findings in further studies, and they weren't able to. And so there's a few different theories about why this one study that looked at 61 patients, which is not insignificant, um, saw such amazing results from using duct tape to get rid of warts. And it could have something to do with the type of tape. Subsequent studies used a different kind of tape with different adhesive, or it could have something to do with the age of the patients used in the studies. Um, About 50%, according to literature, of childhood warts just go away on their own. So it's regression to the mean, in a sense, um, in that if they're in the studies that looked at adults, they saw much less conclusive results. So it could just be that these warts are going away on their own. Now, the alternative treatment to using duct tape is cryotherapy most of the time or sometimes um, so using acid. So you cry acid. about
3: the fact that you have warts and that's Only if it's on your face. Mm.
0: <laughs> but if it's on your hand, they can use a little Q-tip dipped in uh, liquid nitrogen to essentially burn. Burn, it. burn it off right, right, right. um that hurts and it, it can be expensive you have to go to a clinic no kid really wants that I, and ch- I, children do get more warts I've, I've had that before when i was
2: young with the liquid nitrogen now you're admitting yeah,
0: you had a wart. It has yeah, to I, be, was on, I think it was on my foot somewhere. it has to be
1: repeated it doesn't work yeah. just one application it, yep you have
0: to go back yeah. at least two to three times with two week two to three weeks in between appointments it takes a lot of time but if duct tape can work there's not a lot of harm to be had from putting it around your finger to see. It's cheap. You probably have some at home. I know I do. And there's not a ton of harm that can come from just wearing duct tape for a week.
2: Besides, I guess you look silly. And even if it doesn't work, let's say you tried it for three weeks and changed the duct tape every week. Um, it, you, okay. So you'll have the work. Like if it you've doesn't work, then tape, then you've just I wasted mean. duct tape. And, right. So, it's not
0: like. I'm curious if I'm looking forward to a study that can look at using cryotherapy and duct tape in tandem. If we could u- do cryotherapy and then wrap in duct tape and see if maybe that's going to be the best way to get rid of warts overall.
1: There's one other way that uh, warts um, are, are treated, and that's homeopathy. What, uh... <laughs> not quite. Not quite. There was one person uh, but... that
0: dropped out of the study because he had a wart in his toe, and then his toe got amputated.
1: That'll solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. cantharidin is the other possible treatment, and. Uh, uh, you probably have heard of it as Spanish fly. Uh, it's uh, actually an extract of a Spanish beetle. It isn't a fly. And the uh, Spanish fly and the Spanish be- uh, beetle, of course, has a reputation as, as being an aphrodisiac. Uh, Casanova supposedly sprinkled into his uh, lady friend's food. And um, enticed uh, amorous uh, feelings. Uh, there's nothing to that. Uh, it isn't op- not an aphrodisiac. But cantharidin is an irritant, and uh, very much like liquid nitrogen can burn warts off, cantharidin can do that too. And that is actually available. It's, uh, dermatologists will sometimes use it, but it's also available uh, over the counter. But uh, I don't know if there are any control studies comparing that to duct tape. I, I think probably uh, probably not.
2: Not that, that would, I found. That would be an interesting study. To, it could be a double, to uh, twofold, uh, get rid of warts if and also are, increase your uh, libido.
3: If there are researchers <laughs> out there uh, with nothing to do, <laughs> Right. you want to write a grant proposal, there you go.
1: Okay, switching now to Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, Benedict okay. Cumberbatch, of course, a British uh, actor. And uh, I kind of have uh, mixed feelings about him because uh, I think he's a very, very good actor. I've seen him in some very good shows, but he also portrayed Sherlock Holmes. And I have very strong feelings about Sherlock Holmes. And, but he did and, not uh, write the show. He, he did No, no, he did not write the show. But he wasn't Sherlock Holmes. He, well, he was, really but not a uh, to Yes, him. no, no, yeah. uh, no. Uh, Jeremy Brett was Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yes, he was uh, good. Yes. Uh, I mean, he, he defined really the role. And uh, I mean, Cumberbatch was okay. He just wasn't Sherlock Holmes. You feel the same way with you? Sean
2: Connery and Bond
1: right? Well, uh, Sean Who Connery Sean Connery was James what? Bond. See, there you right? go. I mean, <laughs> Joe does not
2: have strong feelings about these. The, him at the, the end.
1: others were actors playing the role <laughs> right. of James Bond. <laughs> yeah, so. I
3: grew up on Roger Moore. I'm probably a oh, heretic. You. I'm yeah. a heretic. Uh,
1: no, I, uh, Roger Moore is, is uh, the next best thing to uh, Sean Connery. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so there's Sherlock,
2: uh, there's there's uh, James Bond and there's the, the original SNL cast. And so whoever you grew up with.
1: Yep, there you go. Well, you know that now they're thinking uh, that James Bond can eventually should be a woman
2: well then I might yeah. actually
0: see a James Bond film if yeah. you've ever seen one yeah
1: Jane Bond Jane I Bond. guess it, uh, she could it still would be James be, that could be her last name
2: yeah. it's true anyway
0: yeah, yeah
1: anyway we'll see <laughs> uh, but um, they are now looking for the next James Bond. Uh, because uh, Daniel Craig is... is
3: yeah, they're you. shooting Bond 25, Five, which is rumored to be his last. His not getting he said 24 with his last yeah, He would yeah, rather so slice his wrist interesting. To yeah. part Anyway,
1: of <laughs> the reason that I bring up Bennett Cumberbatch is because uh, he's uh, a vegan. Oh. Uh, used to be a vegetarian, but now he's, he's a vegan. All around, including the clothes that he wears, and he showed up at a Met Gala in an outfit uh, that was... Uh, Made only of uh, plant products, uh, uh, also silk. Uh, well, silk isn't really a plant product. Silk, of course, mm-hmm. is made by the silkworm, but uh, he had to be convinced that these silkworms were well treated oh. while they were spinning the uh, the silk. I don't know how one convinces someone um, of that. But anyway, the the um, the whole outfit was was uh, vegan and. Uh, he kind of looked uh, kind of silly in the pictures. I mean, if you look at the picture here, it's got this white hat, this white suit made of silk. and All anyway. white head to toe? It's typical yes. Met Gala. But, okay, the reason I, I allude to this, though, is because there's a movement now for what is called future leather, which is leather that doesn't come from, from animals. Hmm. And, you know, we've had that before. I mean, we've had synthetic leather. Polyurethane was yeah. that. But now they're looking for plant sources of, of hmm. leather. And there's a, a very interesting company called uh, Modern Meadow, hmm. which is actually growing collagen, which is uh, the base of leather, in plant in in, uh, in tissue culture in the hmm. laboratory. So by genetic engineering techniques, right? Wow. Lab and, grown yeah, leather. Lab grown leather. But is, the people is that are wanna,
2: that are want to, going to want to wear vegan leather are also going to be against GMOs. This so is interesting.
1: Not all of us. Not all of us. <laughs> not all of you. So, so. Uh, and um, they can color it. it. It apparently feels like leather. At this point, it's expensive. So, uh, you know, it's not commercially available. But uh, it probably is going to be. And there's another type of uh, of leather that they make out of mushrooms. Have you ever seen that? No. Yeah. Ada's nodding here. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've seen it. Um, I think Birkenstock, the company, experimented with using it for a while. I was looking at getting a vegan pear and wondered what they were made of, and I guess mm. it's mushrooms. It is
1: mushrooms, and, and it looks very good. looks very good. All right, so we're looking uh, forward to uh, mushroom leather. Mush- <laughs> mushroom burgers, of course, are in, uh, for sure, as, as a mil- uh, meat substitute. All right, we've got to take our last break. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. We often talk about uh, unreasonable scares and, you know, there are many of those, Uh, whether it comes to certain food additives, you know, like the artificial sweeteners or food dyes or dry cleaning solvents. But, you know, it's not always nonsense uh, because there are some real concerns out there. And uh, in Louisiana, uh, just around New Orleans, there's an area that is commonly referred to as Cancer Alley, and this is because there's a lot of industry there, a lot of petroleum industry, a lot of chemicals in the air, and uh, it turns out that there is really an unusual number of cancer cases uh, in in Cancer Alley, and there's one particular parish uh, where the incidence of cancer is uh, several dozen times higher. Than one would expect. Question is, what is causing this? Well, uh, one of the chemicals that is in the air is chloroprene. Chloroprene is very interesting because it is used in the making of neoprene. You know what neoprene is? Uh, uh, it's a stretchy yeah. rubber like material. Yeah, it's, stretchy, m- it's kind of in
2: style now in some of, some clothing.
1: It is, yeah. and it's what wetsuits are right. are, yeah. are made of, and it has a lot of commercial uses. Now, uh, neoprene is uh, uh, is a polymer and uh, when you make neoprene uh, you start out with a chemical called chloroprene you link together chloroprene molecules into the long chain now once you have the finished product there's no issue it's the manufacturing where the monomer can be released into into the air and uh, in this particular case in the area just around the factory where um, the neoprene is produced the cancer rate is 50 times the national average oh. Now you know we we often make a distinction between associations and cause and effect, and Jonathan, if you want, to just you well, know, this, is that. this is certainly
3: this uh, is certainly worthy of an investigation. Yeah. I mean, obviously, by chance alone, you will find, for example, ca- one county in the U.S. that has a, a much above average rate of this type of cancer or or the lowest uh, rate of cancer. But when you when you reach these kinds of numbers, you do have to investigate. Now, again, yeah, as, as you are mentioning. Just because there's an association between two things doesn't mean that one causes the other, because it could be that the other causes the one. It could be purely fortuitous. Uh, It could be that both are caused by some third variable. So we don't know right off the bat. Right. But when
1: you're talking 50 times the national average, it makes you pay attention. Oh, yeah. And especially when you also find that a chemical that is a known carcinogen in animals is, is in the air. So this is something to uh, to certainly look at. Now, of course, uh, chloroprene is not the only chemical that is produced in, in, in this area. There's huge chemical production industry there. Another one is ethylene oxide. Ethylene oxide is another very interesting chemical. Uh, it's highly reactive, which is the, use that, the reason that that is used as a sterilizing agent. It's right. used in hospitals uh, as a sterilizing agent. And uh, it is also the raw material for the making of ethylene glycol. Ethylene glycol is antifreeze, but there's another reason why ethylene glycol is produced. It is one of the raw materials to make the polyester that goes into the bottles that we use for drinking, uh, the soft drinks, bottled water, etc. That plastic uh, requires the use of ethylene glycol. And the ethylene glycol comes from uh, ethylene oxide. So, you know, just take a look at the number of bottles that are being produced around the world. You know how much ethylene oxide is being used. And ethylene oxide is a gas, and some of it, unfortunately, is released in the manufacturing facility, and people inhale it. So, again, you know, there there are real environmental issues uh, out there. And uh talking about the bottled water, I mean that's another real environmental uh, issue. Mm-hmm. You uh, love bottled water. <laughs> uh, don't yeah, you? the bottled water. I mean I, I would like to see bottled water banned. And uh McGill has done that. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. we're not going to sell any more uh bottled mm-hmm. water. I don't think there's any reason to drink bottled water, certainly in the Western world. Uh, it's quite different, you know, in the developing world yeah. where, where there may be reason to, to have to, uh, to drink it. But as long um, as you make water fountains available to people. Exactly. As long, uh, you know, when, when you have clean drinking water, as we have mm-hmm. in municipally treated water, uh, why go and spend all that money on, uh, mm-hmm. on stuff that really isn't uh, necessary? Okay, just one more little item here about toxicity. Emily, you get your nails done, correct? I do. Sometimes, <laughs> what do you smell when you go in there?
2: Oh, like a uh, chemicals. Chemicals, exactly.
1: Acetone, nail polish remover. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of, lot of chemicals. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, n- there's no question that there is there. Like in it burns there. your nose. Yeah. And uh, some of those chemicals, again. In high concentrations, are known to be a problem. Formaldehyde is one that is is used when you uh, put on, uh, when, uh, you know, the build up the nails. Mm-hmm. The, the formaldehyde is used. There are the solvents to remove nail polish. There are the solvents that that are used when you put on nail polish. And you know, there's there's no question. There's hexane in the air. There's benzene in the air. There's formaldehyde in the air. Now. When you go and have your nails done once in a while, this is not an issue because, of course, as we know, it's the dose that makes the poison. But what about the people who are working in these salons? That is an issue. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, we are getting a number of studies that show that that various kind of diseases, ranging from Mm -hmm. asthma to cancer, are higher among these people because... Many of them will work 50 to 70 hours yeah. uh, wow. in these parlors. Mm-hmm. You and they're mean, wearing
3: yeah. these cheap disposable uh, face masks. Not even masks. all. I, exactly. Do they, do uh, no. even they do nothing. Not even all. Like
2: maybe there's one at the place that yeah. I go to, and that's about it.
3: So maybe next time you go, Emily, they'll yes. be wearing a full-on hazmat suit.
2: Right. Or I should bring. I should equip you them should, with some you better, not,
3: now, if here's, I were you, better I
1: would. Masks. here's yeah. an idea that the researchers came up with who did this study of the chemicals in the air. Activated carbon is a material that can absorb many of these smells. Mm-hmm. How do you do this? Well, they've managed to embed activated carbon into artwork oh. that they hang in the uh, in these nail polish uh, places. Okay. And there are little devices, much more potent than, than just ordinary fans, that are below these uh, uh, pieces of artwork, blowing the air towards the artwork. And they've shown that this can actually clean up the air, and uh, more than that, it makes the place look much nicer. So it's artwork with embedded activated carbon in it. They circulate the air towards it, so that uh, you cut down on the um, uh, these volatile organic compounds, which are potentially problematic. So science does raise some problems, hmm. but very often it can solve them. Where
2: so, where are those available? Like, where was that made?
1: Well, this is just new, so okay. uh, I don't think you see them hanging in your no. uh, parlor yet, but, but you will. All right, we are smack out of time. So today you learned about the frog in the Amazon and what it may and may not do. We learned a little bit about uh, sunscreens and also about titanium dioxide. And we will be back uh, next week with uh, more interesting stuff from the world of science. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping that all the chemistry in life comes out just right.